Are you an entrepreneur or looking to become one? Looking to stay motivated, find happiness and true success? You're in the right place. Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 14, our long-awaited interview with the one and only Greg McCune, New York Times best-selling author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Basically, it's telling us less is more. Simplify our lives, focus on what's important, maximize the top priorities, minimize the nonsense. This is what he's sharing with us. We talk about a lot of principles, some stories. I think there's a lot of great content here. I will point out Due to some travels and some distance between us, we did this through Skype, and uh, consequently the audio isn't quite what I would normally like in terms of the quality, but I think that the content is there, so I hope you'll bear with us for the audio quality because the content should overshadow that. So we're doing our best to make sure it's uh, just as good as we can get it in terms of the quality. So without further ado, I'm excited for this interview. I hope you enjoy it, and here is our interview with Greg McCune. We're pleased to welcome one and only Greg McCune, New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism, also world-class speaker and motivator. So we're going to talk today about a lot of what that is and some of his background, and we're really excited to get some insights from Greg here as far as uh, some of his experiences and, and some of the principles of this book, of course, which uh, to me, by the way, Greg, he's right here on the line with us. We're doing this by Skype, uh, which is different for us. And so it's an exciting new new road. But I, I love essentialism because I think it's different from a lot of what's what's in this space. The, you know, the success and uh, you know maybe motivation. What, what would you call the space for essentialism, Greg? As far as the category of of this book that you put out. Well, I think it's about uh, self leadership. You know, because it's it's for anyone who feels stretched too thin work or at home. It's for anybody who feels busy but not productive all the time. It's for people who feel that their life has been hijacked by other people's agenda. Uh, tend to say yes to please uh, just <laughs> to avoid trouble. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's, uh, you know, I think this is, this is for, for the individual who's trying to pursue what is essential and eliminate what's not essential in their life so that they can make their highest, best contribution to the things that matter most. Yeah. Well, great explanation. I like the term self-leadership because, honestly, I, for one, haven't heard that that much before, and I've listened to lots of different things. You may have probably read and listened to more than me, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, the term self-leadership is, it seems pretty straightforward and something maybe we ought to embrace and, and think a lot more about. Tell, tell me more about self-leadership uh, in terms of what that means with essentialism. By the way, we're going to talk a little about the book, and then I want, like I told you, a little bit about your background and what kind of led you to this place, and, and then maybe we'll dig a little bit deeper in the book, but a little bit more on self-leadership, and then maybe we'll, we'll do that if that's okay with you. Yes, I, I mean, I think that uh, self-leadership uh, means, means how you bring the principles of strategy and leadership uh, to bear mm -hmm. on your own uh, on your own life and contribution so I was working with companies in Silicon Valley uh, working with them in a variety of ways but always in leadership and on strategy and I noticed a predictable pattern there we can get to that later uh, but 
I, well, actually the pattern is this, that they, in the early days, these companies would be focused on the right few things and have clarity. That would lead to success. Success would breed options and opportunity. And mm-hmm. sometimes that would lead to the undisciplined pursuit of more, where companies and leaders were pursuing too many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, all at the same time, all for good motives, uh, but it actually would take them away from the, the things that led to success in the first place. And so uh, that's the paradox of success. Yeah. But, but what, what self leadership is, is illustrated in the second experience I had in the middle of all of this observation. Um, which is I, I, I received an email uh, from uh, a colleague of mine said Friday would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby <laughs> to be at this client meeting uh, and you know maybe they were joking at some level but nevertheless when I was in the hospital the day after my daughter was born the morning after I felt torn between trying to keep everybody happy, trying to do it all, and in that way, I, uh, you know, I tried to straddle my response, and uh, you know, this was like the undisciplined pursuit of more because I went to the meeting, and afterwards, uh, you know, I, I just thought I really violated something more important, something less important. Yeah. And that's on me, and what I learned from the experience was that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. And that's self-leadership, is the, it's addressing that. It's saying, I, I need to be responsible for the navigation of my life, my choices. I need to develop the leadership principles for uh, how to design my life. Uh, and to apply these lessons of strategy mm-hmm. to make sure that I don't unintentionally, that each of us don't unintentionally pursue a strategy we don't need to pursue. Okay. Yeah, and that can be hard to do, as you aptly point out in the book. Uh, sometimes people get into this thing, uh, this feeling trapped, don't they? That, well, everyone's pulling at me, and, and maybe it's this people-pleaser thing. We all just kind of maybe feel sometimes that that we want to it feels better just to make sure everyone's quote unquote satisfied, but ultimately everyone will be less satisfied if we're spread that thin, won't we? Yes, I think that I think that this is often what happens is that people uh, are not, you know, they, there's so many options and opportunities to choose from, and people are reacting to this thing and that thing. They're looking at what other people are doing, either person just observing and trying to keep up with the Joneses or with social media it's it's keeping up with the Joneses on steroids mm-hmm. and so I do think it leads to people feeling a sense of um, you, you know uh, not, not just information overload but over the last 10 years I think we've moved into opinion overload and and it, it does if we're not careful it does bring the same kinds of effects as have been outlined in, uh, in, in other organizational business strategy work. It, 
it does predictably produce a scenario where uh, where actually your input is going up, your output is going down. Uh, because so that's very unsatisfying experience. I mean, at the personal level, what that means is that your stress is going up, but the quality of your work is going down. Right. And, and this is uh, this is I think very unsatisfying way to live. Yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more with that. It's uh, it's kind of an enigma, sort of, sort of a paradox that happens, but it's something that, as you point out with self-leadership, it's something we can control. A lot of times we we humans maybe tend to uh, fall back on this, well, it's out of my control, and way more things in our lives are in our control than, than people sometimes uh, give, give credence or credit to, that, and certainly act accordingly, because we can control this stuff, but this getting overloaded, I think it's something, um, I, you have an accent, so I take it you grew up, by the way, uh, maybe across the pond, as they say. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, uh, I was born and uh, raised in England. Okay. Now, I, for one, have not lived in England, but I know different, obviously different parts and countries and continents of the world have some different cultural things. I know, for example, here in the West, England is part of the West, but here in America, there's always this hustle bustle, just trying to get ahead and, like you mentioned, keeping up with the Joneses. Is it like that over there in England, or is it maybe a little less or more? Or what would you say? Well, I think that I think that there's a lot of um, I think most of the developed countries now are grappling with this the paradox of success. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not that hard to understand why because we've talked about the paradox of success as it applies to organizations and also the individual level, but the paradox is also true at the societal level. So uh, a country is it, it uh, may have started in a, in a relatively simple state, uh, but over time it adds more and more complexity as it tries to solve new problems and tries to scale and becomes a larger, uh, you know, uh, a larger social entity, and mm-hmm. um, in fact, this is outlined really brilliantly in a book by Joseph Tainter uh, called "The Collapse of Complex Societies," in which really he, you know, using my own uh, language, he, he is he's saying that the paradox success explains why societies of a whole variety of kinds have collapsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rome may have collapsed, uh, on the surface may have collapsed for one reason, and Greece for another reason, and Egypt for another, you know, the Egyptian Empire at least for another reason. Um, but he says it's all the same core issue underneath, that complexity grows until you reach a, a tipping point where it requires all the resources of your society just to maintain the complexity. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that you've introduced into your, into your society a fragility yeah. that, um, that, is, that isn't obvious at first. Because, in fact, on the surface, you, you may have, as each of these empires had tremendous military power, uh, strong, long history. Uh, Many levels and evidences of success, and presently before your very eyes. But but underneath, there's no buffer now with which to respond to the next challenge. 
Yeah. And so, and so it takes us off guard because you don't notice it, and then there's just no resources, no, no, no capacity to respond the next time. And so, you know, I, I just think this is well, what I'm trying to say is that uh, societies everywhere that well, I think have been going through this process over the last, depending on the society, the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it has been very successful on a on a whole number of of measurements. Very successful. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I see lots of problems in the world, but I see lots of good things. Very, very interesting and exciting time to be alive. But in that success lies the challenge. Uh, we have to learn how to become successful at success. Otherwise, the success will overwhelm us. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that insight because it's true. I mean, we live in a, there's never been a time like this in the world, has there? With all the technology and advancements and ability to travel to and fro with uh, great ease, you know, compared to the past, where it would take many months just to, if you wanted to come across the pond here, (laughs) it would have taken at least, uh, I don't remember how long it would take, but now we could do it in a matter of hours on an airplane. So there's a lot going on in this world right now. And then this so-called hustle and bustle sometimes get the best of us too. And then, and then in your book, at the beginning of the book, uh, you said something to the effect, uh, I think it was a quote, you said, the wisdom in life consists of eliminating the non-essential. And I think there's a lot, if we kind of pick that, that uh, quote apart, the wisdom, wisdom is something that I think we all ought to be striving for. Eliminating the non-essential means saying no to things. And why, why do you think people have a hard time saying no, Greg? It's, it's one of those things, and for me at least, and what I've observed in life, sometimes people have a tendency to just not want to let go of things, or they want to, uh, uh, maybe they want to, it's almost, maybe in a worst case scenario, kind of like a hoarder's mentality. We just want to hold on to stuff. You know what I mean? So why why do you think people have a hard time saying no from your experience and perspective here? Well, I think that people think they only have two options and they have three. Um, what I think people generally view is that they think they can either say yes, basically politely, I can just say yes, or I can say really no. And so it, once people think that those are the only two options, then because they do care about relationships, because they don't want people just to think that they're rude and helpful because they care, they will say yes far more often than no. And what's simple, but there's a third option, which is to negotiate. Really, that's it. Uh, you either say yes or no or negotiate. Hmm. And it's to, it's to discover the negotiation options and to develop the skills um, and the character necessary to negotiate with courage and with compassion. And, yeah. Uh, and, and once you discover that there is, for example, the polite no, uh, the, uh, the disciplined yes, the slow yes, uh, the, um, the, the just can we talk about this? 
once you suddenly discover, well, if you can negotiate, once that's functional, there are so many questions to ask. You can pause and ask a question. Yeah. Pause even even if you're file leader, you could say, no, they can come to you. This happened to me. Um, I'd like to take on this next project. Time I think I already been assigned three or maybe four more. Um, I thought I was doing a okay job at all four, and here they are with this next fifth project. It was an interesting project. It was uh, it was a bit of a shiny project even. Mm-hmm. And I just but I just you know said, do I say yes? Do I say no? No didn't seem like an option. Just a plain old no. So. Uh, because I didn't want the consequences of just giving a plain old no without anything else. Right. And so that, that's sort of off the table immediately. Um, but just saying yes doesn't seem like a great option either. So step into the negotiation and I said, I asked the question, I said, listen, can we just talk about this for a second? Um, if I could only do one thing superbly well, you know, which would it be? And would you prefer me to do that? Or would you prefer me to do four or five things averagely well? <laughs> yeah. Continue doing them all, and that, that's fine. Uh, it's not it's not a terrible situation. I'm certainly willing to do that, or I can do something that's really meaningful and uh, that might be more valuable. And actually, it didn't take them in this case long to even think about it. They, yeah. uh, they, they said, they said, oh, this is the most important thing. And actually, now that we're talking about it, that would be more valuable to have you just focus on that. And so, <clears throat> The next year, that's what I did. Mm. It was my single, uh, single initiative, and with great success. So uh, that's that's the idea: is to is to be in the negotiation, to negotiate so that you don't become <coughs> a slave to the to what can be non-essential good, but non-essential activities. Yeah, and that's a. That's a great point too, because uh, sometimes we get uh, caught up with the, you know, lost in the thick of thin things, as people have said, and there's other similar sayings like that. And uh, there's one, there's one thing you said too that that I thought was interesting. We say there are too many forces conspiring to prevent us from applying the pursuit of less but better, which is an excellent phrase. Less but better, you know, we used to say in some of my business activities, less is more a lot of times in terms of marketing and, and sometimes even communication. Sometimes you can communicate just too much all at once. There's, there's a happy medium, but ultimately less is more, so to speak. So, so in this part from the book that I'm talking about, the pursuit of less but better, and you'd say there's too many forces conspiring to prevent us from that. I, and I find it interesting that you use the word conspiring, do you think that there's a force in the universe kind of maybe trying to hold us back or something that when we say, or it's just the use of a word, but um, I think it's, I think it's fair to say, and we've talked about this on the podcast previously, we live in a world where if we don't take initiative and have some self leadership, as you put it, um, if, for example, in our garden, we're going to have weeds naturally. We got to, we got to be taking constant initiative. So <clears throat> you, you talk about all these forces so what are those forces? Because, and I talked previously in a podcast about Brendan Burchard. I'm sure you know who that is, right? <laughs> He's, uh, he does a lot of yeah. motivational stuff. And he, one of the things he said was in his last book, uh, High Performance Habits, there's 10 areas of our lives. And, and for a guy like you, maybe 10 areas is too much. And I don't have them all in front of me, but it's, 
it's your relationships, spirituality, it's hobbies, um, all these sort of, it adds up to 10 things. Um, do, do you think we need to have our lives divided into so many categories too? And not, not that we're combating Brendan Burchard by any means, but what are your thoughts on that? And then these forces that conspire against us, as you put it too. Yeah, let me just um, clarify the, the question. It seems like there's a couple of different questions there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so the, the, the first, well, this, why don't you clarify? What, wait, what, what would you like me to answer? Well, I know in the first part of the book, I think you call the first part of the book essence, and there's sections choose and discern, um, trade-off, um, is it important, do you think, I'll just simplify the question really, as far as uh, categorizing areas of our lives um, as, as part of finding what's essential or just deciding this is essential to me. This, you know, someone's a family man and they want their time with their family, their vacations with their family here and there. Uh, they want to succeed in business perhaps as well, I'm sure. Um, is it important to, to kind of subdivide these areas of our lives you think? Um, okay, so so I think that I think that we need to take a whole part, whole approach to life, which means it is saying, okay, what is it that I'm really trying to be and to accomplish with my life in totality? So I encourage people to take a personal quarterly offsite, which they should think not just about what their goals are, but also what their life, um, what the totality of their life is all about, mm -hmm. so that they can look and imagine what their life, what, what things looked like before they were born, and also what things will look like after they have died. So, uh, so, so that's what I think you have to begin with. You have to say, okay, what contribution, what will matter mm -hmm. you know, after I'm gone, like a hundred years after I'm gone, uh, or at least a hundred years from now. So, so way into the future. And so you're starting with this very long-term perspective. What will matter once I'm in fact forgotten? What will still matter? That's a very big question thought experiment but it's the place to begin because you want to think about the whole life picture mm -hmm. then from there you have to be ambidextrous about this because you have to go from that very big long-term thinking to this to all the way down to this moment so so you're going from you know very long-term and of course set some goals five-year goals long-term goals break it down to this 90 days one of the few things we're going to get done this week, this day. You know, that's that's all planning process where you break it down into small and small increments. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so the, the, the key idea to me is not so much how many areas of life you have. There's, there's lots of ways of compartmentalizing that. Um, yes, I, I tend to too many from my own head to remember and handle, but I'm simple, so, <laughs> uh, so so for me, I want to keep it as simple as possible. Sure. Um, but however many pieces you break 
to add back up to the whole at the end. So that's why it's whole parts whole. So every 90 days you're going from the big picture, the whole, then through it, you're through in the weekly and daily planning process, you're identifying this quarter, then this week, then this day, what is the one most important thing I want to accomplish? If I could only do one thing, what is it? It's the most vital thing to pursue. It doesn't mean you won't do anything else. I certainly have never spent, never spent nine days on doing one thing. Um, but but the difference is immense if I have done the work to mm-hmm. get that clear. That same for the week. So I, I have a process where once a week I have, I am doing the deep discernment work to try to clarify the most important work for that week. Yeah. I did it this week, did it last week, did it the week before. This is pretty consistent discipline process now. Yeah. Lots of other things going on. But it means that each week, I'm, each, each day, I get to identify okay, what's the most important thing today I can do to help uh, you know, achieve that weekly intent. And so, you know, this is key. This to me is much more important than whether you have 10 areas of life or five areas of life or three areas of life. Mm. That's a very interesting perspective, and I like it a lot because it, when you use a word like totality, it really kind of drives home the point of you can subdivide your life all you want, but in, at, at the end of it all, it's one life. So the totality of it, I remember Stephen Covey, one of the seven habits was begin with the end in mind, right? And and he talks about maybe looking forward to maybe in a not so grim sense, but to the, you know your funeral at some point and. Hopefully that's farther off for most of us, but looking to the, to kind of think, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone and at your funeral? And then as you point out, kind of backtrack that to, okay, well, what do I need to be doing uh, in large and small scale steps along the way, as you point out, weekly and daily and so forth and the, and the key objectives. I think that's a great habit as well. The key objectives of each each week kind of have that mapped out so that you know maybe have that as a compass so I appreciate that as we close here because we're uh, short on time and I know you got to run and we respect your time greatly there's one quote here that I just wanted to touch on real fast uh, that you said it says excuse me I think that in a sense there are only two kinds of people in the world there are people who are lost and then there are people who know they are lost and you need to be in the second category because as soon as you know you are lost you are not lost anymore because you know what to do you want to elaborate real quick on that as we wrap up? Uh, be, and again, we could touch on, there's so much to this book, and I invite our listeners to go out, buy a copy of the book. Uh, you're the one reading the book, and that's a great uh, experience as well, and uh, I loved it. But there's so much time, and we just barely touched, maybe even barely the tip of the iceberg here. But anyway, that quote about people who know they're lost and people who don't. Do you want to elaborate on that? I remember talking to a woman who shared a story with me. She said when she was uh, 
think uh, 12 years old, somewhere like that. She was going, uh, she had a whole uh, trip planned, uh, Danny Dawson, with her father. Mm. And um, they had everything planned. I mean, it was very specific. So it was, uh, she was going to travel with him, uh, business, and then uh, he was going to go to his part of the event. She was going to stay in a hotel. Uh, and then, and then, as soon as that was over, uh, they would go. Uh, it's going to be held in San Francisco. They were going to go to uh, to, to get Chinese. Uh, they were going to go watch a movie. Go back to the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Eat a Sunday. <laughs> to uh, watch another movie, and they've got the whole thing. Looking forward to this morning. Uh, so she's in that anticipation, especially for the twelve-year-old, is, is really strong, and everything is going according to plan. But right after the dad's finished the conference, um, an old friend of his is there. Surprised him, friends of many years, decades, is there with his wife. They said, "We didn't hear no, you'd be here just barely, and then we heard, and we came down here." My goodness, I can't believe that you're in town. We were we, uh, so looking forward to, uh, to, 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 to catching up with you. And I see that your daughter will be too. It's marvelous. Let's go out. We'll go out for a fabulous seafood dinner at the wharf. And uh, we can catch up with this friend. And her, the daughter says that something just feels uh, dejected. Yeah. Because she, she hates seafood. <laughs> I love that. Even though he didn't have all the answers and he wasn't 
by any means perfect in keeping these commitments, he was coming back on track uh, again and again and again. Wow. And that's what you do if you admit that you're lost, is that you get back on track and back on track fast. And, uh, and, and you have these kinds of moments that he did with his daughter. Wow. I love that story. Um, I think that story's in the book, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah, I remember that beautiful story and great. I think that's a great note to to just wrap up on here. Um, but yeah, there's something to be said for humility, just facing what we are, where we are, when when that happens, and making adjustments accordingly. It's the same thing. Airplanes constantly just making corrections to get where they need to get. And there's something to be said for finding this balance and constantly, as you point out, with your own personal efforts and Stephen Covey with his constantly striving to maintain that all on the foundation of predetermined values and objectives that we're trying to meet. So I can't thank you enough, Greg, for the time taken with us. Love your perspective. Maybe we'll have a sequel one of these days and uh, we can talk more about this. But again, the book is Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. One of the best books I've uh, uh, read and, or in this case, listened to in the last uh, few years. And I can't recommend it enough. So thank you again, Greg. And did you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up, my friend? No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Until next time, for audience, uh, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.